Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We are finishing up today in our flow series, and today we want to focus on how the gifts of the Spirit impact spiritual warfare. So I'd like you to think about three places that the Scripture talks to us about. I'd like you to envision these three with me. The first is that the original intent of God or the the will of God was that you and I would live in in an intimate relationship with him in a garden that he established for us. In this garden, there was no death, there was no sin, there was no suffering, but rather there was, a, there was everything that was necessary for us to flourish as human beings made in the image of God. There was intimate communication with each other. There was no shame. There was intimate communication with God. He walked with them, spoke with them face to face. When sin entered in and when death entered in, God didn't lose his place. We lost our place. And then all of the effects of that curse we are living with today. So in in, in a very real way, as Jesus reconciles you to God, as he begins to work in your life, he's trying to get you on a pathway, moving in faith to restore what the enemy has stolen from you. For you to begin to live as you were originally intended to live. Now, the second place that I'd like you to think about is heaven itself. The scripture tells us that heaven is actually a world of the love of God. It's not just this place that you go and have a peaceful existence for eternity, living on a cloud with a flimsy robe, playing a harp or whatever that might be. It's actually, Scripture says, it's the completion of everything he has been preparing you for in this life where everything that you've lost is safeguarded for you. Everything that you've gone through is redeemed. One writer says that heaven will make all the struggles of this world seem like only one night in a bad hotel. But notice the characteristic of heaven. It says no more tears, which means no more pain. It says no more sickness. So interesting, isn't it, that so many people believe that God's will is that you be in pain? That you live miserable. And yet heaven is an eternity without misery. If it was so good for you, it would be in heaven. A place where sickness is no more, cancer is no more, diabetes is no more, high blood pressure, heart attacks are no more. If those were so good for us, they would be in heaven. So there's got to be some sense in which you begin to realize that part of the tension of what's going on in your life is you have a memory trace. You have a, you have a longing that God put there to restore what was stolen and also to gain what is yours in heaven. Jesus didn't just call the kingdom the kingdom of God. He called it the kingdom of heaven. And he said that what he had inaugurated and what he has put in your heart 
is the initial experience of heaven now. You are citizens of heaven. You are carriers of heaven. Your roots are no longer in this world. Your roots are in heaven. The third place I'd like you to think about, because those are, those are awesome thoughts, the Garden of Eden and your original intent, heaven and what God wants you to experience right now, because the kingdom has come and heaven is invading earth, and you are the citizens of that invasion. But it, all that would be pie in the sky in a way, except for the first century church. Here was an ordinary group of people, no different than you or me, But once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, once the gifts of the Spirit began to operate, that first century church became a church where there was no drop-off whatsoever from what the Spirit had done in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was now doing with the disciples of Jesus Christ. It is the will of God. Not that he suspend kind of like the order so that we can have a nice period with God. Rather, he wants to restore what was stolen. He wants to take back the ground that was gained by the enemy, and he wants the church to be restored to what the first century church was. And he's inviting us in New City right here in Rockland County to say, will we be that church? Will we say, no, we were meant for more than just survival? We were meant to have heaven in our hearts and heaven flowing in our lives. And we are meant to be the church that does what Jesus did and greater things than Jesus did because his spirit is upon us. Now, if that's going to be true, there's going to be resistance. The enemy of our souls does not have limitless resources. So he saves and reserves his resources for those who begin to move in the spirit. The problem for so many of us is we believe our issues are psychological, our issues are economical, our issues are relational, and so we try to fix the symptoms when all of our issues have a spiritual root. And until we begin to deal with our spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons, we will somewhat subside in the symptoms in one area and they'll show up in a completely different area. Look at what Jesus believed about his mission. His mission came from Isaiah 61. He proclaimed it. He said, this is my mission. It is fulfilled in your presence when he spoke it out in the synagogue. This is what Isaiah spoke to us. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Jesus then proclaimed the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on him. Now, If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you have no trouble saying, yes, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on Jesus. And what would be your evidence? Well, he healed the sick, right? He cast out demons, the lame walked, the blind saw, the deaf heard. There was authentication that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was on him. But guess what Jesus said? (laughs) That the same Spirit that was on him is now on you. He said, I'm going to send you. It's going to be better for you that I go to the Father because I'm going to send you the Spirit who is just like me, he said. And he will do in you what he has done in me. 
and he will do through you what he has done through me. Jesus operated in his spirit-equipped, spirit-filled humanity. His words made the kingdom of darkness recede, and his words made heaven advance. But it might be hard for you today to realize that in the same way he said this statement, you can now say this statement. It's easy to think that Jesus can say it, but for me? And I can imagine some people going, oh, I'm too reverent to say this. No, you're too full of it. <laughs> you see, you don't realize that pride says, oh, no, not me, Jesus. I would never, I would never presume to have this kind of power. Oh, not me, Jesus. I'm too wicked. I'm too sinful. You understand? That's pride. That's not humility. That's me, 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 me stuff. See, humility says, okay, Jesus, if you say it's true of me, then I believe you, and I accept it, and I declare it. That's actually humility. The, the, the difference here is once you actually humble yourself, then you have the confidence to walk in the power that he walked in. So I'm asking you today, will you say it with me? The Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, of the sovereign Lord is, upon me. is upon me. Say it again. The Spirit, the Spirit of, the sovereign Lord of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. This changes everything, friends. It, it makes your past go away. It makes all your disqualifications irrelevant. Because now what makes the difference is the spirit of the sovereign Lord who was on Jesus is on you. Now think about <clears throat> how important the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit is for those of us who live in this world. It, it says here, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. Think about that for a minute. That means poverty is a spiritual issue, not just an economic. Because why would you need a savior for your poverty if it wasn't spiritual? So we keep throwing money at poverty and we keep throwing this and that, but we don't throw a savior at it. And then it says to set the captives free. Don't you think that the scripture means more than people who've been captured by armies of other countries? It's talking about addiction, talking about drugs, sex, alcohol, food, workaholism, perfectionism. Because when you're captive to something, you're captive to it. And yet it says this is a spiritual issue. And so you have to be set free from it and get the release of the prisoners. But I wanted you to focus with me about how much emotional issues are spiritual issues. Look at what he says. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Doesn't that mean relationship issues? Doesn't it mean somehow I've been betrayed? I've been, I trusted somebody who, who isn't trustworthy. I depended on somebody who wasn't dependable and my heart is broken. My sources have not really panned out for me. So he's come to say that the relational issues in your life, the emotional issues in your life have a spiritual root to them. Again, if you're going to keep dealing with symptoms, the root stays. And here he says, look, I want to make an exchange. I want to comfort those who mourn. I want to provide for those who grieve. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you walk with Jesus, you're going to grieve. There are going to be losses. There's going to be disappointments. People are going to let you down. They're going to turn on you. He had one of his 12 betray him and another deny him. And he picked them. 
right? To bestow instead. Now, here's where you begin to realize the work of the Spirit is to make an exchange. It's to reverse the curse. So where there's ashes, in other words, where dreams have been destroyed, where relationships have been destroyed, where your very heart and strength has been destroyed, he wants to take the ashes and turn them into a crown of beauty. I call this the Holy Spirit beauty treatment. I have seen people so ugly and so like, like just their face so tense and tight because of bitterness in their heart. Because they refused to forgive and it aged them and it, and it hurt them in a, in a very physical way. And as soon as they forgave, it's like they lost 15 years and their eyes turned bright and their skin turned a different color. Because he exchanges their, their ashes for beauty. Now, here's the funny thing. I find lots of Christians who'd rather the ashes. Because they start saying, oh, you don't know how hard my life is. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. Yeah, I can't forgive. I've been through. I've been hurt so deeply. And what they're saying is my identity is my pain. And if you heal me, who will I be? So I'd rather the ashes than the beauty. And so nobody can give you beauty for ashes if you hold on to the ashes. There has to be a reversal of the curse and an exchange. You have to say, Lord, this isn't who I am. This is who I am. Well, notice this, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isn't that interesting? It's a spirit. Again, I'm not saying there isn't such a thing as clinical depression. I'm not saying there isn't a chemically, chemical origin to some of the issues in our brain. But the Bible says there's a spiritual root to it. And unless we know, know and learn how to exchange that spirit, that spirit keeps us heavy. And then I want you to realize there is this, this promise. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you how it works together in a minute. Joel 2.32, same, same prophet who prophesied the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, and it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Now, the reason I use the translation that says delivered is I want you to realize there are a lot of people who, who have confidence that they're going to heaven but live like hell right now or live with such hell in their lives because they're like yeah I'm saved but they don't understand they need to be delivered that they need to deal with the things where the heaviness is and that Jesus wants to deal with your melancholy your mediocrity your sense of misery and he wants to deliver you from that your reference points are Eden, heaven, and first century church. If you're not living in some reality of those three, you're living in less than the will of God for your life. And the enemy has tricked you. And instead of recognizing his lies, you are actually protecting and justifying the lies. See, the, I know I'm mean on Sundays. I, I like it, all right? But here's the thing. If I say to you, particularly if you're church people, if I say to you, you're sinners, you're like, yeah, you're right. But if I call you idiots, you actually listen. Because then you're like, who is he to tell you that I'm stupid? Who is? Because you see, saying someone's a sinner has no meaning anymore. 
But when you realize that your sins have made you an idiot, that they have made you foolish, that they have made you less than the human being you were meant to be, then I'm starting to get at the issues. So I will say it again and again. <laughs> Listen, you're here today as an intersection of the Lord calling you into first century power. He is restoring the church. He is not doing something so new like he's never done before. He is doing what he has always do, done. He makes old things new. But it feels so new to us. And we don't want to miss it. So aligning your life with the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit makes you a target for spiritual attacks. The devil and his demons are aligned in a mission to hinder the mission of Jesus. So when you begin to see the attacks in your life, it is not an indication you're doing wrong. It's actually an indication you're doing right. And so I wanted to give you one of my one of my my favorite teachers on spiritual warfare has a personal testimony of how in the midst of his ministry, God taught him about spiritual attacks. His name is Derek Prince. He's one of the best writers on reversing curses to blessings. And so this is his story. He says, in the midst of ministry blessings, I had recurrent fits of depression. I struggled against this by every means I knew of. I prayed, I fasted, I made resolutions. I got up early to pray. I stayed up late to pray. I did everything that I knew to do, and it got no better. In fact, the more I prayed and fasted, the worse it got. One day I had come to the end of my solutions when a phrase in Isaiah 61.3, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, captured my attention. I suddenly realized that I was dealing with a spirit, a personality that studied me, knew my weaknesses, knew how and when to attack me. I was not dealing with mental or psychological conditions merely. I then understood why the pressure got worse the more I wanted to serve the Lord, because the mission of this spirit was to hinder me in my service for God. This personality knew just how and when to apply the pressure. Recognizing the identity of my enemy was a tremendous step forward. I searched the scriptures and I found a verse that I believed would bring me the solution to my problem. Joel 2.32 says, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I put Isaiah 61.3 and Joel 2.32 together and prayed a very specific prayer. God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to your word, I'm asking you to deliver me from the spirit of heaviness. And when I prayed that specific scriptural prayer, I was delivered. The pressure was lifted. See, amen. Look, a spirit-filled person Doing spirit-equipped ministry will always experience supernatural resistance. Here is a leader who was equipped by the Holy Spirit. He was ministering in the power of the Spirit. The results were he was having salvations, deliverances, healings. But in the midst of his highest point of ministry, he suffered spiritual attacks. Now, the Holy Spirit, in answer to his prayers, led him to two scriptures 
that identified and applied to his depression. He was given these biblical words, these powerful words that identified it was a spiritual root. And as he dealt with the root, he had a powerful result. See, when you deal with a spiritual root and you get it out, you will always see fruit in the natural. So he discerned the problem wasn't merely psychological, but an evil spirit that had been assigned to hinder his ministry. But you've got to understand this. What happens with a lot of people is say, okay, I'm just going to read my Bible and then figure out how to deal with this issue. It was much more than that, friends. Number one, that timeless truth that <laughs> he gives, you know, this this garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness was there long before he ever read it. As a matter of fact, Derek Prince probably knew it by heart because it's the messianic passage. But that timeless truth had to become a timely truth. OK, I can't say it better than that. All right. Come on. See, the problem with a lot of us is we know timeless truth. But what we need is timely truth which only comes in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because he knew that verse, but he applied it to Jesus. He didn't apply it to himself. But that in that moment, he could distinguish the spirits. In that moment, he had a word of knowledge. And then that knowledge, it's a spirit of heaviness, became a word of wisdom. Here's how you apply the knowledge to get the victory. You see, though he was using the word, he was also employing spiritual gifts in order to get the victory. The logos became rhema. The timeless became timely. But it did so as he allowed the spirit to operate in manifestation gifts so that he got free. Now, listen to me. He prayed wrong. I mean, if you read his prayer, he asked Jesus to do what Jesus has told him to do. He asked Jesus to bind what Jesus told him to bind. Uh, here's my conclusion from that. When the gift of faith is there, the prayer, the words, the grammar, how it's all set up really doesn't matter all that much. You know, because the spirit isn't looking for how perfectly you pray the prayer. He's looking for how much you have faith for the deliverance. I mean, most of us are terrible prayers. I, I mean, some people I'll be praying with, oh, Lord, Father God, oh, Father God, Lord, blah, 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 blah. Man, if you talk to me like that, I'd slap you upside your head. You call my name that many times, I'm like, I'm right here. I just, 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 just. One, 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 two, 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 two. We're horrible. It's a good thing God has patience. You see, when the gift of faith is there, it's irresistible. It's overwhelming. You see, he was so excited. He had a word of knowledge. This is my problem. He had a word of wisdom. This is how I deal with it. And faith arose. And faith arose, he said, and the heaviness was lifted. Come on, this is good. 
See, what he was doing was he was employing in his intimacy with God and in his desperation in his circumstances, he was deploying these gifts of the Spirit, these supernatural gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, we have nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit that become gifts in our lives. Now, the problem with a lot of people is they get so upset about tongues that they throw out all the rest of them. And so the, if, you, if, if, if you look at these, though, and, and how they have to do with spiritual warfare, even tongues has this amazing kind of place. You see, both in the Garden of Eden and in heaven, there was communication that was intimate with God that was never broken by anybody else. There is a sense that those who experience a prayer language have an intimate language of God that even Satan can't interrupt. So that there is an intimacy and an affirmation as they pray in their tongue. And it's very close and it's very near to God. There's also times where God has used the, the, the amazing gift of tongues to speak in the heart language of people because God wants nothing to get in the way with this intimate communication. At Pentecost, every single person heard the gospel in the very language of their heart. It's about communication. In a way, it's a reverse of the curse of Babel so that now we understand each other and we understand God when he speaks to us. Now, the problem is there have also been abuses. I've been in rooms where people said, oh, I have a message in tongues, and they speak for half an hour, and the whole interpretation is God loves you. And I'm like, you know what? That was just as effective in English as that long diatribe you just gave us in some unknown tongue. And really, that was about you wanting attention. That was you thinking the gifts or toys for you to entertain yourself with and not gifts to, to advance the kingdom and recede the darkness. And we have been very bad at times because we don't know what to do with people who love attention in the church. We want to kill them. We know we'd go to prison for it. And, and you try indirect communication, they really don't get it. And of course, what they really say is, you just don't, you don't have the spirit because you're, you're restricting me or restraining me. And so it's very difficult. I'm not saying any of this is easy. And it can all get off track unless, again, we begin to understand what is this manifestation about? It's not so that you'll think I'm spiritual. It's not so that you'll think I'm special. Because, see, if my gifts are my identity, I've lost my identity. If my gifts are my worth, then now I've got to manipulate you. I've got to, in some way, use these gifts to prove my worth, my value. See, gifts can never be your worth. Because they're not yours. They're gifts. They're given to people who don't earn them. They're given to people who don't deserve them. They're, they're always manifestations of the grace of God. I remember when I first realized I had a word of knowledge. I was a Presbyterian pastor. We weren't supposed to have anything but knowledge. Not words of knowledge, you know. I had worked really hard to be a knowledgeable person. But uh, 
I was, uh, I was learning about deliverance. And this lady came to me and she was really desperate. Her marriage was falling apart. Her family was falling apart. She said, I need to be delivered. I said, okay. So I had this tool called the seven steps to freedom and I was going to take her through it. And I got this overwhelming impression that she needed to hear the gospel. That she had never really met Christ. And I had this sense that my spirit was recognizing she didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so I just stopped doing the deliverance and I went for the ultimate deliverance to deliver from from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his wonderful son. And I shared the good news of Jesus and his finished work with her and, and talked to her about faith and all these things. And as I was sharing this word with her, she started to weep. And before I could even finish, she goes, I've been in church for 53 years and I've never heard this before. She says, can I come to faith right now? And I said, no, of course not. I'm not finished yet. (laughs) Of course I didn't say that. I was so excited. I'm like, yes! (laughs) And she gave her life to Christ, and and she had the ultimate deliverance. You know, all of heaven rejoiced because the lost sheep had come home. And, and it wasn't long till her husband came to Christ. And other things started, started happening. And at first, you know, again, because I was a Presbyterian, I was like, man, I am so smart. Man, I am wise. Wow, I'm good at this ministry stuff, you know. But I realized he dropped that knowledge on me. I couldn't have known that. I couldn't have distinguished that lack of the Holy Spirit on my own. And I wouldn't have had the wisdom to immediately go from my planned methodology to sharing Jesus with her. Except that it was the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you really want in your life will not be accomplished just naturally. It has to be accomplished by the gifts of the Spirit, which are supernatural, then manifesting, get at things you always wanted to get at. I mean, every now and then I see a movie and, and, you know, they're having spiritual warfare in the movie and Arnold Schwarzenegger has a gun and bullets and all this stuff. And I'm like, demons are not affected by guns or bullets. You know, just good techniques of therapy and counseling are not going to get at spiritual roots unless you understand the spiritual roots. But here's the thing. Your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, knows you perfectly. And he knows exactly what scriptures you need, what, what words you need, and what wisdom you need to apply that to your situation. Amen. Are you hearing me in this? Yes. See, what we've done is we've said, Jesus, you can come this far, but not farther. And in doing so, we've let Satan come much too close. Because we won't be spiritually and supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, other spirits are getting access to us. And we blame God when really it's us. Because we will not surrender and we will not yield. So, listen. I want you to, I want you to hear this part, okay? When Jesus gives spiritual gifts, he gives himself. He never gives a gift where he isn't giving the spirit who is really the gift himself. This, this sometimes is the way people look, Jesus gave me a gift and he's up in heaven going, oh, I hope you use that well. <laughs> oh, don't screw this one up. Oh, boy. No, you see, every, every single gift that he gives, 
is a fulfillment of his promise. He says, it's better for you that I go to the Father because I will send this other to you. Now, here's what he's saying. And and I believe you believe this, that if the Lord Jesus physically were right in front of you every minute of every day, you would believe for healing. If the Lord Jesus were right in front of you every minute of every day, you would believe for demons to be delivered. If he were right in front of you, you would believe that even a few loaves and fishes could feed 5,000. You wouldn't have any trouble with that whatsoever. But he said, it's better that I'm not right in front of you because by sending my spirit, I can be in and with and through every one of you at the very same time. So what's happening is because we don't see him physically, we're not believing him spiritually. And so we live like he's not here, except when we're desperate for him to be here. When in reality, the very person of Christ in the spirit of Christ is always united to you in every way. So that when you're being disobedient, you can't enjoy your disobedience. Because you have a grieving spirit who is a person, not a power, and you're off doing your own thing. He's like, please don't do this because I have to go with you to do that. And then when you do things, you say, I'm going to do it my way. You quench him because your independence severs his power and presence and all his attributes from being able to flow in and through you. There's nobody more miserable than a flesh-oriented Christian. Because the Spirit can't empower that. The flesh no longer enjoys it. The only way to get over this is to start to say, wait a minute. If he's with me, then everything Jesus is, is united to me. And everything Jesus has is united with me. So that every step that I take, I'm taking with him. He's taking with me. Now, the question in any relationship is who has control? Is it going to be you? Will you be the leader? Or will you be the one who listens? And see, once you start listening, then the gifts can start flowing. Because all the gifts are actually related to intimacy and relationship. You can't have a word of knowledge if you're talking all the time. You can't have somebody else's wisdom if you think you know it all. You can't distinguish spirits if you're controlled by other spirits. But what happens when you get cleansed and you get free is you start knowing what it feels like to have a clean spirit. What it feels like to have a fullness of the Holy Spirit. And guess what will happen? You'll be driving around. You go, whoa, we just came into Nyack. There's some spirits here. And they're not necessarily clean. You drive into Pearl River and go, ooh, racism. As soon as you drive in, you're like, ooh, I'm not welcome here. As soon as you come into New City, materialism. Oh, man, everything's about our status and what do we have and what are we getting and how's our family falling apart because we're so workaholic. You know, you start to notice, wow, it's not just, I'm not just, you know, Uh, crazy here. I'm actually distinguishing that there are spiritual territories that I'm coming into. 
And he's not doing that so you go, oh, I know so much. He's coming into that so you begin to realize that's where the battle is. So you're trying to bring heaven where hell thinks it has the right. You're trying to restore Eden where death and sin has been decaying the area for all this time. But this is what's so beautiful about this. When the gifts are being deployed by you and me, Jesus is doing his thing. The sick are healed. The demonized are set free. The poor hear the favorable year of the Lord. The captives are released. The prisoners are released. It's powerful because, you see, every time you operate in the gifts, heaven is walking with you. Every gift is a manifestation of the realm of heaven. No sickness there. When, when the gift of healing comes, it's heaven manifesting. You see, Jesus taught us this. He said, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, he was saying heaven can invade earth through us now, but it comes through the gifts. It doesn't come because you're smart. It doesn't come because you're educated or because you're working hard. It comes because heaven is walking with you and you're a citizen of heaven and you're believing Jesus and you're saying, I was meant to bring heaven and the will of God to where I live and it's to flow through me. He didn't say, pray this way, your kingdom come in the sweet by and by when there's pie in the sky. <laughs> he said, now. He said, now. You and me, we are atmospheric change agents. But not because not we're smart, not because we're powerful. We're idiots. There are people who've said that the gifts were withdrawn, that they were only for that first century. They were only for the apostolic age. But why does Paul say to the Corinthians, I thank God that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He's saying that the gifts will exist until Jesus returns. But let me take it a step further. If the gifts are the manifestation of the presence of Christ, why would he want to diminish his presence with us? Why would he want to have less presence with us than he did in the first century when he said to us, the things I do, you will do. And greater than these because I go to the Father. To diminish the gifts is actually to diminish Jesus. And he has not withdrawn his mission to the ends of the earth, he said. You shall receive power. You shall be my witnesses. So therefore, he has not, he has not withdrawn his gifts. But you and I can only begin to really operate in those gifts as we grow in faith. Now, I want to say a couple of things about this before I talk about faith to close. Every gift is from the grace of God. If it, were, if it were something you earned, it would be a salary. It would be a wage. A gift means it has no real connection to your failures. It has no real connection to where you've been sinful or evil or whatever it is. 
It has no real connection to your past. It has every connection to your future. Your gifting and the way he wants to release the gifts in you, this is all about you and I coming to a place that is radically different than we could have gotten to on our own. Let me, let me illustrate just for a minute how supernatural the gifts are. Think about this with me. There is a, there's a spiritual gift called hospitality. Now, there are a lot of you who have the personality and you have the talent for hospitality. So a gift of hospitality must be even greater than a talent because it's spiritual and supernatural. Like my wife, she is an amazing person for decorating our house and and, and for making it feel very cozy and very intimate. Now, I, I think the key is candles. I think that's the key. Well, I'll take it back. Candles and layers and layers of pillows. That is the key. It's just, you gotta have, you gotta have a lot of pillows and you gotta have lots of candles and all of that. But you see, you can, you can do that with talent. But the gift of hospitality means heaven inhabits your house. You see, a candle can make it smell better, but can't give you forgiveness. A pillow can make you comfortable, but can't change your identity. See, what happens when you are truly in a hospitality gifting, you feel safe. You feel loved. You feel understood. We can't do that by talent. That's heaven invading the home of a person that says, I want the Holy Spirit to make my home a place that's hospitable. And then even if you do have a talent, it gets supercharged. I know because I don't have that talent. I just have the talent of paying for the pillows and the candles. <laughs> and saying, oh, those are beautiful. And that smells good. But I have seen how heaven invades our house. And, and of course they appreciate Lisa's talents. But I've heard people leave and say, I felt so welcome. I felt so at home. You see, you can't do that with natural means. You can only do that with supernatural means. That's what the gifts are. They may be an area where you have a talent, but now it gets supercharged. Now people are experiencing what they were always meant to experience because they have a memory trace of who they were supposed to be. Every one of us does. There's a gap, there's a, a void there that says, I'm not meant for this. I'm meant for so much more. Now the problem is that the gifts are given to jerks. It's just so true. A gift has nothing to do with character. I mean, let me illustrate this, okay? So if a person's lazy, deceitful, and conceited, and they get an unearned gift of a million dollars, I guarantee you they will still be lazy, deceitful, and conceited. They may be even worse because now they have a million dollars, okay? So this applies with the dramatic spiritual gifts. There are people who get the prophetic healings and miracles, but the problem was they were weak and unstable before they got the gifts. So once the gifts manifest, they'll still be just as weak and unstable as ever. But now they have greater impact. This is what we have seen with a lot of people on TV. We've seen a lot of leadership. 
is that they began to identify their worth and their value by their gifts and they never worked on their character. When your gifts manifest, what will also manifest is how broken you are. And either you will begin to deal honestly with the brokenness or you will hide in your gifting. And the interesting thing is God doesn't take back the gifts just because you're a jerk. I don't know why he doesn't. I would. But maybe it's because he sees something more than we see. So are you tracking with me so far? Let me close with this. In Ephesians chapter six, it says, our wrestling is not against persons with bodies, but against rulers with realms of authority, against the world dominators of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavens. What does Paul say is our greatest weapon of defense against this present darkness? He calls it the armor of God. Now, the only thing that's a shield, or only thing that's called a shield, is the shield of faith. Now, I, I want you to get this is that really and truly what's being asked of you, whether it's for your character or whether it's for your power. The only foundation of both is faith. And, and, and I can find that there are three very distinct developments of faith in every believer's life. Okay, so the first one is this. You come to God and receive a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to what Ephesians 2 says. By grace, you've been saved, not because of your faith, but through your faith, which is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So even the initial faith that you have to trust God is an unearned faith. It's a faith that comes as a gift. <laughs> I know this is tough for all of us to think because we think we're such good people. <laughs> but we don't even have enough faith to enter. He has to gift us faith just so we can get what we always wanted, to be right with God. But then he says, are you tracking with me on this? So then he says, faith is an element of the fruit of the spirit. So fruit means you didn't produce it, but it's being produced in you. He's developing in your life that, that manifestation of the spirit of Christ. And one of the elements that's key to that manifestation is faith. It's not produced by you because it's a fruit. It's produced for you and it's produced in you. So everything that's going on in your life, every, every circumstance, every annoying person, every difficulty that you're coming up against is developing this faith, which will become the fruit of the spirit. So that's the second level. But the third level is this one in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, it's a gift again, a spiritual gift. So it's not the faith that started the relationship. It's not the faith that's being produced developmentally in your intimacy with the spirit. This is a gifting of faith. It's for every believer. Now let's think about it. If you're honest, you have a puny faith. And, and, and you better believe that your enemy knows how puny it is. 
you, think about it. No matter how much you know about him, he knows everything about you. He has powers that you don't have. And if you think your faith is going to be enough to withstand, you're, you are an idiot. I mean, it's, it, it is not going to work, friends. He's going to kick your butt. But if you start to realize, I can operate in spiritual gifting. Now I have the weapons of warfare that are divinely appointed for the tearing down of strongholds. So what is this gifting of faith that then makes the miracles and the healings and all these other things happen? Well, I believe it's this. It comes to us from Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh or in this body. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, some translators want to say by faith in the Son of God, which would mean it is all contingent on my faith. I'm in trouble. But if it's the faith of the Son of God, you see, I may have a little faith, but he has a great big faith. You see, if I unite my little faith, even my mustard seed faith, to his great big faith, then there is nothing that can stop us or overcome us. It's the faith of the Son of God, not just the faith in the Son of God. And you know what his faith was? It's so much bigger than mine. And it's so much more about me than mine even is about me because it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, he went to the cross with faith in you. Ha, I wouldn't have done that. Would you? Think about it. He had so much faith that he endured the shame of the cross because he knew the joy he would have with you. You're the only thing he didn't have before the cross that he now has after the cross. So you must have been the joy he was believing in. So what I do is I take whatever faith I have, but I join it to the faith he has in me. And the faith of the Son of God does miracles. The faith of the Son of God heals the sick. The faith of the Son of God gives words of knowledge and words of wisdom. He knows far more than Satan will ever know. And he downloads it and he shares it and he reveals it. But I've got to learn to unite my faith to his faith. That's what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not just to say, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Oh, Lord, you're connected to me. Lord, you're united to me. There isn't a place I go that you haven't gone before me. You're the author and the perfecter of my faith. Will you stand with me? I saw this vision in the second service. I'm seeing it again. Everything apart from the spirit in your life before is a desert. It's survival. It's trying to, you know, trying to find enough water, trying to find enough food, trying to find shelter. But I see the Lord giving you the next step. And everywhere you set your foot, green grass grows. Trees begin to appear. 
Um, it's the picture like Joshua had, where the Lord said, every place you set your foot, I have given to you. Again, it's, it's not because you have some power in your life alone or you have some deservedness in your life. It's rather because heaven has come down and is walking with you. That these gifts are heaven invading earth. The place where no sickness is, is destroying sickness here. The place where no poverty is, is destroying poverty here. The place where no addiction is, is destroying the captivity of addiction here. But it all begins with faith. It all begins because you believe that I call on the name of the Lord and he delivers. This is the favorable year of the Lord for you. I'm asking you to walk in that. So would you extend your faith in the direction the Spirit is leading you right now? Would you say this with me? I receive, I receive the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the of the Sovereign Lord to lead me and guide me to manifest His gifts. Say it again. To manifest His gifts to accomplish my mission, my assignment, as I am united to the mission of Jesus. I take my stand against the spiritual resistance, any spirit of heaviness, any grieving, losses, ashes, that have weighed me down, I exchange today for a crown of beauty, for a garment of praise. You can't run well if you're heavy, if your heart is heavy. It's funny, you can take almost any in external sickness if your heart has not been broken. And today he's here to bind up the brokenhearted and to make you know that he's not going to waste your sorrows. That whatever you've lost is waiting for you. That this is just a bad night in a bad hotel. asking you to extend your faith today to believe in the gift of faith not just the work of faith but the gift of faith that when we sing that walls come down that when we open our mouths miracles come forth that we will believe it not because we have enough faith but because the faith of the son of God is enough we might not be that big of people but our God is that big we might have, you know, little bitty faith, but we all have the same size Jesus. You unite whatever you have today to everything he is and then step where he tells you to go. You will see heaven walk with you. You'll see restore what the locusts have eaten. In Jesus' name, amen.
I think you need to hug about five people and share that love around, all right? God bless you.